Hi, everybody. My name is Grant Fishbook. I'm the lead teaching pastor at Christ the King Bellingham. And I just want to thank you for accessing our latest message online. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to say that one of the things we value the most at Christ the King is biblical community. And so if you're watching this uh, in our area, we'd love to invite you to come and join us on any weekend at one of our five campuses. If you're watching somewhere around the world or somewhere else in the country, we just want to encourage you to make sure that this is not a substitute for your attendance or your connection at a local church. And we really want you to find a family where you can grow, where you can give and where you can receive as well. So we're continuing our series called Taboo 2. Taboo 2 is really an opportunity for us to have conversations in church about topics we don't normally talk about in church. So in just a few moments, we're going to walk into the worship center. If you've missed any content up to this point, I'd encourage you to go back in the sermon archive and catch up with us. But let's head into the worship center right now as we continue our series, Taboo 2. everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. I'd like to welcome everyone here to our service this morning. I'd love to welcome everybody who's joining us online. Uh, actually, our fastest growing audience at Christ the King are the people who are turning in during the week, and we want you to feel a part of our church family, so thanks for checking out today. Over the last several weeks, we have uh, dived into some deep stuff. We've covered addiction, divorce, death and dying, in the weeks to come, you can continue to pray. We'll be talking about racism, hell, civility, universalism. And so we're going to continue to dive into some of the depths. And today, uh, we'll be a little deeper. And I hope you'll have the courage to come along with me. Ernest Hemingway, the famous author, said these words, Life is just a dirty trick. A short trip from nothingness to nothingness there's no remedy for anything in life. Man's destiny in the universe is like a colony of ants living on the end of a burning log. Ernest Hemingway said that before he took his own life. And the sad truth is a lot of people feel that way. There are people in this room right now who feel that way. 26 years ago, I walked into a hospital room. I pulled up a chair next to the bed of a young lady that I'm going to call Heather. She said this to me, I hate you. And I said, I know, but at least you're still here to hate me. I'd called 911 the night before on Heather because she had reached out to me, and I always take people seriously when they make that phone call. She didn't want me to see the effects of having your stomach pumped, but I had already seen the black charcoal marks around her mouth, and she rolled away and faced the wall, and I just sat there for a long time, and then she said this, I can't even die right. I didn't know what to say, so I moved my chair around as close to her as I could, and I just held her hand. 
I'll be honest with you, I've got way too many stories about the taboo topic of suicide, and every one of them is difficult because they represent a person that I love and care about. To encourage you today, Heather has three boys, a husband who loves her, and an amazing future. And I am so glad that her permanent solution to what was a very heartbreaking, difficult season in her life, uh, a, a traumatic level of pain that she was dealing with, I'm so thankful that her permanent solution didn't work. I wish that was the only story that I had, but the truth is I have so many more stories that include caskets and grieving families and scrubbing blood off of walls. So today I need your prayers. Parents, if you've got a little one who, who may be a little active today, if you could please take them out, we would so appreciate that. We have a family room for you, just so that everybody can focus today, because this is a big deal. And if you're a prayerful person today, I, I need you to pray, because I've got to navigate a difficult tension because of who's in the room. In this room are people who have never been touched by suicide at all. This is a totally new, this is a totally new topic for you. In this room are people who have survived an attempt on their own life, and they are still dealing with unbelievably difficult questions, and they are still in pain, and they're still hurting right now. In this room are people who've lived through the trauma of losing a loved one to suicide, and they still have questions that are rolling through their mind. And right here, right now, there are people who are navigating such deep pain, such deep pain that ending their life actually seems like a viable option. So I would say this matters. So if you could be prayerful while we enter into this conversation today, it would be so much appreciated because I'm going to tell you again, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor and your story matters to me. Just so we know, I put it in your outline, the heartbreaking scope of suicide in the United States. The numbers are staggering. On average... In this country, there are 121 suicides a day. That means sometime in the next hour, five people in this country are going to take their own life. If you do the math, over 44,000 people a year in this country alone take their own life. For every successful suicide, 25 people make the attempt. You do the math, that means over a million people in this country are living in such pain that they see taking their life as a better option than living through tomorrow. Women are three times more likely to make the attempt. Men are three times more likely to succeed. And the one that breaks my heart the most, to even say it out loud, the teen suicide rate in this country has quadrupled in the last decade. Young people with so much to live for and they can't even find a way to handle the pain of life that is handing them. Just so you know that we are not immune to this in in this area right here, since I started at Christ the King, the average age of a suicide funeral that I have done is 19 in our backyard. Society has done a beautiful job of romanticizing suicide. The movie depictions are of a young woman who takes pills and then they just slowly drift off to sleep and it just seems so unbelievably easy. Hollywood paints a picture that, that taking your life is, is simple, that it's clean, and that it's even somehow in a, in a twisted way, it's heroic. But for the love of God, I will not make this easy for you because your life matters. 
I can't make it easy because I've seen what happens to a human body after life has left it. I've had to process the smells and the sounds and the pictures out of the minds of the most veteran first responders because to them it's never just another suicide. I've held screaming siblings in my arms after I've had to tell them what their brother or sister did in the bedroom upstairs. I've had to process the questions with parents. Why didn't I know? Why didn't they tell me? Is this my fault? And the question that probably haunts me the most, are they in hell? Let's go there. You have been so courageous over the past couple of weeks. Let's go there. There's two haunting questions I get asked when this taboo topic comes up. And I want you to please, please stick with me all the way through this section. Because if you check out at any point, I promise you, you're going to end up with some very bad conclusions. The first haunting question is, is suicide a sin? And the answer, according to the Bible, is yes. It's a sin. Now stick with me, okay? Because so is pride. So is self-will, and so is judgment. So let's be really, really careful. Exodus 20, verse 13 is a commandment. Thou shalt not commit murder. And no matter how you take the Hebrew language apart, that murder, even when it's by your own hand, is a sin. But I'll be honest with you. That's not normally what the person actually wants to ask. In my experience, this is the real question behind the question. Is suicide an unforgivable sin? And to that, I would say, be very careful and stick with me, I would say no. Now, I know that's somewhat controversial, and I'm going to say this again. I'm not going to make this easier for you. But I think we need to explain this because so many people don't get this right. There's some debate on my answer. Many people will say that, and actually believe that suicide cannot be forgiven. In some faith traditions, they delineate between mortal sins and venial sins. Mortal sins are those sins that are so serious and egregious before God that they deserve damnation as a result. Venial sins are the sins that are not that big of a deal and, and can somehow be dealt with through another means. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe that position is biblical. Because I read my Bible, and my Bible tells me that every single sin, big, little, no categories, every single sin that I've ever committed and you've ever committed cost Jesus his life. I would say that's a big deal. God doesn't grade sin in severity because it all costs Jesus his life. Other people create a scenario that goes something like this. I've heard people say this. The person who commits suicide is committing murder, and they have no opportunity to confess or repent, so they're bringing eternal judgment on themselves. Here's the problem with this logic. Let's make it relevant to all of us. You're texting and driving. You're making a decision to be distracted, even though you know it's against the law. Romans 13 says that we are to be subject to the laws of the land because God put those in place over us in order to protect us. But we are making the decision that we know better, that we can react quickly enough, so we make the decision, guilty as charged, to work with our thumbs and we don't see the car coming and because of our negligence there's an accident and the impact takes our life or possibly the life of another and there's no opportunity to confess or repent. So according to the logic of unrepentant sin, what's the outcome? Some people say, but that's different, Grant. Is it? You chose. You sinned. You died. And before you freak out, we've used every one of these 
difficult topics as a way of helping our biblical understanding. So let me just give you a really, really, really quick primer on sin. I know it's not a politically correct term anymore. I don't care. Okay? Here's what we need to know. Everyone has sinned. Everyone in the room. We've got a sin problem in common. If you think the guy with the microphone is exempt from that issue, you need to talk with my wife because Laura will convince you in less than two minutes that Grant Fishbook is a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. All of us, everyone, we have a common sin problem and sin gets worse. Sin leads to death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the payoff for living life our way, making our own decisions, doing our own things, the payoff for all of that is actually death. And you're like, this is not encouraging at all. We talked a lot about death and dying last week, but it's true. Sin leads to death, but time out, the blood of Christ cleanses us from every sin. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Not just some sin, not that sin, or that sin, or this particular category, it says all sin. And if you do the Greek work, all means all. And it gets better. Those who trust Christ are completely forgiven of all of their sins. Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Which means when we confess that sin, God forgives us. We are redeemed. We're bought back twice and washed as white as snow. And when God looks at us, even if we come and try to remind Him of how bad we have been, if it has been confessed and is under the blood of Christ... He looks at us and says, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. I see you clean. I see you whole. I see you mine. And those who trust in Christ for salvation, they know that they have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So let's just stop for a second. Sin cost Jesus his life. We all have sin in common. Sin can be forgiven through the grace of Jesus and the power of grace and love is so unbelievably strong that the Bible has the audacity to say these words. Nothing can separate the child of God from the love of God. Nothing. Yeah, but Grant, there's this... Yeah, but I've got the... Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said. I did not tell you that to make this easy. I tell you that to assure you that nothing is greater than the love of Jesus, and the love of Jesus wants you to live so that you can carry the love and hope of Jesus to somebody else who's struggling with the thought of simply living. 
let me talk straight and as tenderly as I can to those in the room who are contemplating suicide. I want to talk straight to you. And I hope, I hope you can feel my heart today. Because I need you to hear my heart while you hear a very hard truth. And the truth is this, ending your own pain will begin a lifetime of pain for the people who love and care for you. You need to know that. I know your pain is great or you wouldn't be here today. And I want to say this, I don't judge you and I don't minimize your pain. It's real and it hurts. In my experience, suicide is always an escape from pain. And I want you to know, as a church, we will never minimize the difficult stuff that you are navigating right now. We're not going to pretend that it's not a big deal. We're not going to stick a Christian bumper sticker on you and say, just pray a little harder. I've seen so much damage done that way. No, we want you to understand that we see you. We're here. Your pain is real. And here's something beautiful, even though it's hard to hear. Jesus knows pain. He experienced pain. And so we're going to do something right now. I'm going to pray in about one sentence that God makes me invisible right now. And that somehow, in His miraculous power, that He will eliminate me from this stage. And that I will simply become a little loudspeaker for the next couple of moments. Because I want you to hear, not from me, I want you to hear what God would say to you, knowing that He already knows how deep of pain you're feeling today. So if you give me just a second, Father God, right now, would you please send your Holy Spirit to tenderize hurting hearts so that this is not sincerely or simply a list of verses, but that this is your heart expressed out loud to people who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. God's words to you, Isaiah 41, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is your everlasting strength. John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And don't forget the first part of that verse. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. You need to know this. Satan is the author of suicide. He wants you to believe the lie that your life is not worth living. But God wants you to know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That he has a purpose for you and he's right here, right now with you. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. 
He sees you. We see you. And as we wrap our hearts around you, you do need to hear this. The decision to end your own pain will magnify and maximize the pain of all those who leave or that you leave behind. So hear my heart when I say this. Don't do it. Live. Let me make it more clear. This is exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to make the right choice today. Once again, I'm going to let God speak for himself on this one because I, you don't need to hear me on this. You need to hear him. Listen to him speak in Deuteronomy 30. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Underline the next three words. Put a box around them. Highlight them. Now choose life. That's what God is saying to you. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Look beyond this life. Look to the generations that are going to follow. Look at how the generational curse may need to be broken. Think about how God could use you to change the trajectory of your family if you will simply make now choose life. Verse 20, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Don't listen to me. Take the upgrade. Hear what the Holy Spirit of God is saying today. Now, choose life. For the Lord is your life. And He will give you many years in the land He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So to make it abundantly clear, there's only one right choice that God wants for you. Now, choose life. And I know right now, your pain may be telling you a different story. It may be saying, but this is what you want. I have a question that I would love to submit for your consideration. What about what God wants? What about the God who gave you life and breath today? What about the God who tapped you on the shoulder and said, you need to go and hear this. What about the God who said, you were fearfully and wonderfully made by me? God wants you to choose life. As followers of Jesus, we should always be asking the question, how can I help? How can I help? Well, it starts with recognizing the signs. Let me give you just some of them. Here's some of the signs. Persistent sadness or depression. When you see someone that you love and it doesn't let up and it doesn't go away and they seem to be stuck inside of the cycle that they can't free themselves, instead of judging them, instead of giving them a list of boxes to check, what if you just moved closer? What if you were there? What if you came alongside? Uncharacteristic irritability. And we're talking about persistent irritability here. Not just the way we all act before we get our morning coffee, okay? Persistent irritability where you see somebody lashing out in different ways because they don't know where else to put the emotion that they're feeling. Major conflict with a family especially when it remains unresolved for a long period of time. When a family is supposed to be a place of safety and it becomes a place of chaos, that's a warning sign that we need to watch and pay attention to. Here's another sign. A recent major loss of a loved one, a friend, a parent, or a mentor, especially if they lost that family member or dearly loved family member through suicide itself. There's a friendship group here in Whatcom County. I have buried six of them. 
all through suicide. It needs to stop. We have to make it stop. And we can only do it together by paying attention and moving in, even when it's uncomfortable. Let's keep going. A recent experience of significant humiliation or shame. Something happened in their life, at their workplace, at their school, and and they're just struggling in the deepest part of their soul. and, And they just picture it would be easier to step out than have to step into what's waiting for me at the office because I did X. Let's keep going. A breakup or a significant friendship or a close relationship. When someone suddenly has a relational hole in their soul, we need to pay attention. Withdrawal, alienation, or loneliness. This one is huge. Some people think, you know, we just do small groups around Christ the King here because we just like it when people get together and have coffee in their living room and talk about the Bible. Actually, we know this to be true. In some cases, getting connected into biblical community is a matter of life and death for some people. And they need to know there's a place. Let's keep going. Comments about others being better off without them or not wanting to live. When we hear that, we can't pretend it didn't happen. We also can't get so freaked out that we shut it down. Don't you ever say that again. No, we can't do that. We've got to keep the conversation going. An increase in self-destructive behavior. Hopelessness that doesn't go away. And a strong sense of failure. Those are just some of the signs. Heather, the young lady that I sat in the hospital with, do you remember the second sentence that she said to me? I can't even die right. That's a profound sense of failure, which meant we were just at the beginning of walking that journey together. Recognizing the signs is not enough if you don't say something about it. We have to be willing to ask the uncomfortable question. We've got to be willing to enter into the taboo conversation So let me say this so that I'm consistent. You've heard me say this over and over and over again. On social media, in the workplace lunchroom, and in your little gossip circle, for the love of Jesus, mind your own business. But if you're seeing the signs of suicide in a friend, for the love of Jesus, don't mind your own business. Don't mind your own business. Ask the question lovingly. But bluntly, are you considering taking your own life? Are you considering suicide? One of the greatest myths that's out there is if I say something to my friend about it, I'm going to push them towards the decision. That is just not true. It's not true. We have to be willing to care enough to confront with love and compassion. And some of you are thinking right now, you know what? My life is really busy. I just got a lot going on. I just don't want to get involved. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, let me remind you of another command in Scripture from James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Oh. You know, the Bible's so clear. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. We have the responsibility to carry our own load. It's in there. You should check it out for yourself. But it also says if we see someone struggling to carry their own load, that we've got a family responsibility to bear the burden. 
Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that verse doesn't mean I'm going to have to carry your burden for the rest of your life. That verse doesn't mean that you get to walk away and let me carry the weight for you. That verse means if I see the burden and my brother or sister is being crushed, that I've got a responsibility to love and care for them by getting up underneath of that weight and lifting just enough so they can take a breath and experience the love of Jesus that motivated me to get up underneath of that load with them. We want them to experience the inseparable, contagious, life-giving love of Jesus. I have a friend named Jordan. Jordan's a hero. She's a mental health professional. She works with kids every day who are struggling with this. She came in to be my expert this week, and I so appreciated the gift of her time. And she said something to me as we were talking in my office, and it was so good. I wrote it down, and I want you to hear it. Everyone who is suffering is an opportunity for you to show them the hand of God. Let me say it again. Everyone who's suffering is an opportunity for you to show them the hand of God. Let me talk to another group of people today, and I would love to be, if I could, the loving hand of Jesus for just a couple of moments. For those of you in the room who've lost a loved one to suicide, we see you. And we hurt with you. Your loved one mattered. And you are not to blame. Let me say that again. You are not to blame for their decision. And you have permission to grieve and mourn the loss here. You have permission to bring that messy part of your life right here. And we will not run away. And to those in the room who've lost someone, I'd love to say something to you that I often find myself preaching at the funeral of somebody who took their own life. To you, I would say this, no one knew your loved one more than Jesus knew them. And he knew the pain, and he knew how deep it was, and he knew what was happening that day. Secondly, no one understood your loved one more than Jesus understood them. He understood all of the issues and the complexities and the help that they sought and the help that they got and the help that they didn't. He got it. And thirdly, no one loved your loved one more than Jesus loved them. And in the final moments of their life, Jesus was there. And he understood the depth of pain. And even though your loved one didn't choose to live, you can still trust Jesus. Because right now, for you, he is here, and he is near, and he is good, and he is loving, and he is right. And he is fair. He gets it. So to everyone in the room, those considering suicide, choose life. To those recovering from a suicide, 
choose hope. And to all who hear this message, choose Jesus. This always comes up like it's almost some kind of a credibility test. So Grant, have you ever gotten here? Yes, I have. And I'm thankful today that the God of life intercepted my trajectory and convinced me that life was worth living even when it hurt. Jesus gave me an opportunity to choose life and I would love to give you that same opportunity today because Jesus, the God of life, not only wants you to live today, he wants you to live with him for eternity. He wants you to trust him that he can number your days better than you can. So as we get ready to close today, I'm going to ask that for the sake of concentration and humility that we would bow our heads and close our eyes. With everyone with head bowed and eye closed, if today this has touched you in any way, whether you are scared or hurting or contemplating or grieving, or maybe you walked in today and you had no idea what we were going to talk about, and just the simple idea of having life eternally is something that resonates with you, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would, would you pray a prayer with me in the depth of your heart? Would you trust the God of life with your tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Would you be willing to receive His forgiveness today so that you can live? If that's what you want, a relationship with the God of life, would, would you pray these words deep in your heart right now? Dear Jesus, I need your life today. My life is broken from my own sinful choices. So Jesus, please forgive me for living without you. Because right now I need your help. And I need your hope. So God, right now I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is the Lord of life. And I ask you, you be my Savior, my King, my Lord, and my life today. Jesus, help me choose life. Save me right now. I give my life to you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, the Bible says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you prayed that prayer, right now, you're saved. And your eternity is secure. And you have a reason to live. Today. And tomorrow. 
all the days after that. Nobody's looking around. We're just having a private moment with God right now. But if you prayed that prayer today, I'd never do anything to embarrass you. But boy, I'd love to pray for you. I got a long list, and I would love it if it got longer. If you prayed that prayer today to the God of life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just stick it straight up in the air. God bless you and you, and God bless you. God bless you and you and you. God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. He sees you. You matter. You matter. God, thank you. That you're still putting broken pieces back together. Thank you that you're still giving life today. Thank you that there's forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. God, for each one who've said yes to the God of life today, I pray that they would know they're not alone. We see them, that we're here. Father, for those that are grieving today and need the Lord of life to touch them and that hole in their heart, God, may they receive May they receive your full love today. We trust you, God of life. Would you break the curse of suicide off of this county? May this be a place of life and hope. Oh God, hear our prayer. As we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, I want to thank you so much for joining us today online. I want to give you an opportunity again to really get connected into community. And so if you're in Whatcom County, we'd love to have you join us at one of our five campuses. If you're not in Whatcom County, we really want to encourage you again to get plugged into a local church. To find out more about Christ the King or to give online or to submit a prayer request, I want to encourage you to go to ctk.church. Once again, thank you for joining us.